This episode of the Managing Madrid podcast is brought to you by our live podcast in Toronto coming up on December 18th, a few hours after the World Cup final concludes. We are doing a show at the Flat Iron Firkin Pub, downtown Toronto. I think that's considered downtown. I don't know, but pretty central regardless. We've recorded a podcast there before, and we're so looking forward to coming there again and meeting you guys for the first time and or seeing some familiar faces from our last podcast. Really look forward to seeing you guys on December 18th. If you're going to be attending that podcast, and honestly, if you're in Ontario, if you're in Canada, you're not coming to that. I already know people who have booked their flights from Edmonton just for this podcast. So if you're in Canada and you're not coming to this podcast, you're missing out big time. So don't make that mistake of missing this party. I got signed stuff from Mordrich, signed stuff from Luis Figo, and official La Liga swag. Official La Liga representative is also going to be at the podcast endorsing it. And it's going to be a hell of a time after the World Cup final. Hopefully, we got some Madridistas in the final itself to make it extra juicy. But regardless, it's going to be an epic time. If you want to book your spot, the link is in the show notes. And you want to do it uh, before November concludes. You got like seven days, I guess. Um, but early bird ticket prices go up. So they, sorry, early bird ticket prices end. December 1st, and then prices go up. So do it before December 1st. Link is in the show notes. Coming up is a review of Rudiger, Modric, Asensio, and Hazard, and Courtois. It's been a long day. I got up at 5 a.m., a little bit before 5 a.m., to watch Modric. And that four games later, my eyes are just absolutely bloodshot, and my heart is broken from Canada's loss. And we're going to dissect, dissect all of that. Focus on money, says, with Ewan McTeer and Sam Leverage coming up. And if you're interested in analysis on Chuomeni's performance of Australia last night, Jose Perez and I did that over on patreon.com slash managingmadrid. Go over there and check it out. There was a whole episode dedicated to Chuomeni versus Australia there last night. And also for much broader Spain discussion, like Beyond Asensio, um, Diego Lorin and I recorded a post game podcast for Spain, absolutely wiping the floor and destroying Costa Rica. We did that over on Churros y Tacticas podcast, uh, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. So, as you can tell, wasn't joking, been a long day, four games, two podcasts later. Uh, we're here, so enjoy it, and we'll be back tomorrow for more and Friday for more, and Saturday for more, and Sunday for more, and every day more. We're just getting started. Enjoy it. Thanks for your support. Thanks for listening. And here's Derek Ray and Ray Hudson to kick us off. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. Wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. So Benzema needs to rest ended up almost looking like a 6-3-1 some very good writing about that on the Managing Madrid website frustrate podcast as well of course Pere Valverde was a huge part of the equation one alright welcome to the podcast it is just after 10pm in Spain 4pm over here on the Western Hemisphere, and I, you know, we're going to talk about all of Real Madrid's players who have played today. It's, uh, you know, after having seven games in a row in the World Cup without any Real Madrid players, we've had five games in a row which have featured Real Madrid players. My eyes are bloodshot. It's 
been a long day and uh we're just getting started there's a lot 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 of football to be played in this tournament so first i'd like to welcome you and and sam on the show um welcome and it's nice to have you guys on both and i know you guys have also had a long day so we're going to get right to it we're going to start in reverse chronological order and we're going to talk about hazard and courtois and i gotta tell you guys that i'm kind of delirious i know this is after I've just been gutted. My organs have been gutted. My heart's been gutted. Canada have lost a, a heroic yeah. game where they played really well um, and they just could not finish. And it was chaotic defending. It was just a, a crazy edge on the edge of the seat kind of game. And uh, we're going to we're going to get your thoughts on Hazard and Courtois because I'm not really sure I'm the best person to analyze that one, given that I was just basically focusing on on trying to will Canada to score a goal. So, Ewan, we'll start with you. Where do you want to start with that Belgium game? I mean, Courtois obviously saved the penalty, but Hazard also played in this game. Yeah, I want to. I want to make sure you're okay first and first and foremost. You you suddenly have to be in the opposite side from Thibaut Courtois, which you're not usually used to. So, um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I now know this, what it feels like. You I mean, I, I knew before when he was with Atletico, but now I remember what that felt like again. But even that Courtois wasn't like this best in the world Courtois. And, you know, Courtois getting ready to save a penalty. He's jumping around. You're normally probably uh, thinking he was he's going to save it. And that's that's for Real Madrid. And this time you, you're probably there thinking, oh, no, how do we how do we score against this guy? Especially because the referee decided to just wait for like an absolute age before blowing his whistle. But um, yeah, Courtois obviously saved a penalty. That was his so a stat. That was his fifth penalty save out of nine that he's faced in 2022, which is incredible. Obviously, that's more than half. doesn't take wow. much maths to, to work that one out. And not just the penalty, just his whole game. I mean, you look at the, had the XG here, 2.61 uh, for Canada, 0.76 for Belgium. I mean, a lot of wasted chances, a lot of off-target chances for Canada, but also a couple of other big Courtois saves, uh, big moments coming out of his box when he had to as well. So, yeah, really impressive game from him. Not so much from the rest of Belgium. Really disappointing, I thought. Um, as much as Canada were good, they played a team that was ranked second in the world. This, no. Belgium are not the second best team in the world. I think we knew that going in. We saw that from this game. Uh, Courtois is going to have to pull off some kind of miracle uh, if he's going to uh, lead this team far in this tournament. You know, he, he did it last year with Real Madrid, but that was with, you know, Modric, Benzema, Vinicius... This is uh, Belgium with a lot of problems. Eden Hazard up front, not one of the problems tonight. It has to be said, he was one of Belgium's better players. I think some of the hype you might see on social media was was a bit too much. I saw uh, Prime Hazard is back. Why, does, <laughs> why doesn't he play like this for his club? He's completed 100% of his dribbles. Yeah, technically true. Two out of two is 100%. Cool. But um, I think let's just, I think people get too excited about any good Hazard performance because it's so rare. But um, yeah, Hazard was fine, but Courtois was was the man for Belgium because uh, they really shouldn't have won this game. I've never hated Belgium so much in my life. It was the first time <laughs> I was like, Courtois, man, if you're if you're a real Maridisa, just give us one here. Just throw it into your net or something. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I felt it was pretty. It was a pretty heartbreaking night for all of Canada, but we we're proud. Um, Sam, elaborate on the Hazard point. Um, where did you? Yeah, well, where, how do you evaluate him in a game like this? I think it's a little bit like what Ewan said. The reaction is always kind of that he's back. 
which seems to happen kind of once every nine months or so. He has a good cameo, a good performance. I mean, I think we have to recognise that this was up against Canada, who weren't going to be the toughest defence that Eden Hazard is ever going to come up against. But you do wonder if mentally maybe this is exactly what he needs. I mean, kind of the interviews he's been giving in the press in the last few weeks have been kind of very reflective almost of him looking at where he's gone wrong at Real Madrid. And then he did look a little bit more confident sometimes on the ball. And you think that's kind of exactly what Real Madrid have needed to kind of not so much get Hazard back, but to get Hazard back thinking that he is Eden Hazard and to have that kind of edge to take players on. I think we saw that in moments against Canada. And if he can have a good World Cup, then that would be a real bonus for Real Madrid to have Eden Hazard a little bit more confident, a little bit more sharp after the World Cup. I think he's one of those players who hasn't been in the picture very much and a good World Cup, worst case scenario, helps Real Madrid to sell him. Best case scenario means he could actually be a, a valuable asset. I think there's a few players, Marco Asensio, who we'll talk about later as well, who's kind of in a similar position. And with Eden Hazard, you just feel like maybe this is the kind of thing that he, he likes. We know that Eden Hazard likes turning up for the big occasion and the World Cup is the biggest occasion there is. And I think we saw Eden Hazard enjoying himself a little bit more tonight than we have seen of late at Real Madrid. And I think you could really tell the difference in his performance. What tends to happen also in any time Hazard plays, and this happened against Celtic too in the Champions League, is that there is definitely a contingent that come out and say, this is what we've had all along. Hazard of Chelsea still exists. We need to we need to bring this out of him. And, and also there's the... Like today I saw the takes were all over the place. There was that perspective and there was also um, people who thought he was terrible. I, I think he... My assessment, again, from someone who was way too emotional watching this game and does not have a... I, I, my judgment is completely clouded. What I saw from him that is is something that I've seen from him in almost every Belgian performance that I've seen, and I've watched almost all of them and lead up to this tournament, is that he plays a role that is hard to carve out for Real Madrid. Um, at Real Madrid, this role does not exist. And he played well. I, I think his he was dropping deep. And he was linking up while his turns under pressure were nice. He was moving in the half spaces. Some of his passes were overhit. Some of his passes were not good. It was just a, the, it was it was a good performance. It was fine. I do think the expectations of him now are 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 also lower. You know, than if he was playing for a long time and he was playing regularly, he was playing consistently, and he was playing well. The expectations are different. So naturally, I think what happens is that we tend to overrate when he certain things that he does. But it was fine. Um, you yeah, meant- and also, I mean, you touched on that key and the kind of role that he played, but also kind of the players around him, obviously, at Real Madrid. If you've got Karim Benzema next to you in the attack, then you know that you're going to be playing around him a lot more than Michi Bachelet and, and that kind of setup with Belgium. So I'm sure that had an influence as well. Is there anything else from this game that you guys want to bring up with regards to Courtois and, and Hazard? I mean, I, I know that we could talk about a bunch of like tactical things throughout the game from both sides. Um, but I, with respect to those two players, cause we're kind of short on time. No, not really. Just to kind of wrap up the hazard thing. It's, it goes back to that point. It's who's, who's he playing with? And, you know, Sam mentioned the confidence. Yeah. He's confident with Belgium because he's the main man. He's number one. He's the captain. He's the player. He's Mr. Belgium basically has been for, for so long. With Real Madrid, anytime he's on the pitch, he is Mr. Number 11. He's the 11th main player on the pitch pretty much any time that he's out there. He's not uh, got that confidence because, you know, he's playing with Benzema, he's playing with Vinicius, he's playing with guys that are 
better than him at this moment that are more likely to start than him. So um, with Belgium, it's just a different dynamic and there's just absolutely no way to replicate that at Real Madrid because, um, yeah, uh, at Belgium, he's not just through uh, talking about quality here, talking about hierarchy and what he's done for Belgium over the years. You just cannot um, transfer that to Real Madrid, the confidence that he's going to have wearing the Belgian uh, captain's armband. Um, I yeah that that sounds that sounds correct to me. That that that's a bang on analysis. I don't I don't have anything to add to that. Let's move on. Um, Sam, you mentioned Asensio, and in a similar light that you know someone who needs to prove himself at Real Madrid, a spot also kind of naturally opens up given that Benzema's health is a little bit unknown after the World Cup. How much time is he going to miss? Real Madrid need a backup striker. Asensio played a false nine today. Is it safe to say that Spain won that game comfortably? Yeah, well, I mean, it was it was a piece of cake. I think in the first fifteen minutes, Costa Rica managed eleven passes, which <laughs> tells you all about it. So it was one way traffic, and I think one of the players who really impressed me was Marco Asensio because he just looked so up for this game. I mean, the whole Spain team looked really incredibly motivated. A lot of these players are young players or players at their first World Cup. Um, I think there are only six players in the squad who've actually been at a World Cup before. And so, you know, your Pedris, your Gavis, your younger players like that are going to be motivated. But to motivate players like Marco Asensio, who have been there and done it, is a whole other challenge. And he just looks so up for it from the off. And I think Spain just walked it. And and Marco Asensio was kind of very pivotal to that because he had that kind of false nine role, which, I mean, Alvaro Morata was missing out with a cold from the air conditioning in the hotel, which (laughs) one of those stranger injury illness reasons that we've heard of. But, I mean, Marco Asensio definitely took his chance and you wonder now, Luis Enrique, if he faces a decision on, on who's going to start in the attack up against Germany at the weekend. Ewan, what do you have to add to this? Um, I, I was number one that Luis Enrique, how dominant they were. Number one, that Luis Enrique is going to be angry at both of you because you both said false nine and every time someone says the, the phrase false nine in the press conference, um, referring to um, any player... Um, he he loses he loses his mind. Um, he, right. his thing is that Twitch content. That's all. His thing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> his thing is that Asensio was not a false nine today. He played as a nine, and to be honest, he kind of has a point. Asensio did uh, play really centrally. You know, it was a very fluid attack. Danny Olmo, Ferran Torres, all interchanging, all moving around, all got on the score sheet in that first half hour. But you know, Asensio did kind of become a reference, you know, not the target man that you normally associate with a centre forward, but he was always pretty much around the D of the penalty area and really kind of was key, I think, to the structure of Spain, um, especially with Pedri just able to pick out anybody at any moment. So, uh, yeah, Asensio was was good enough that, you you know, Alv Morata is, is still, I'm sure, the starter. Luis Enrique does love him, but he's got to uh, make sure he steps up. Obviously, Morata came on and scored one of the goals Late on, which is which is certainly good for him, but Asensio has, has shown that he can he can do a job not just the uh, when he scored, but you know a couple other chances as well. One that went just past the post, you know, really good performance for him, and um, yeah, all around perfect day for Spain, and um, yeah, I, I said about this game, it felt like a, their final pre World Cup friendly. Like this did not feel like a World Cup game. Like cost as much as we're talking about Spain did well, Asensio did well. We have to just say that Costa Rica were absolutely shocking. Maybe the worst team at this World Cup, even worse than Qatar. So, 
Um, keep that in mind, I think, when we when we analyse Spain, but um, certainly there's just not a single negative from this performance for Spain, which has been a long, long time since Spain started a tournament with uh, with a game like this. Well, that was the, the clearest thing to me was that after about 15, 20 minutes, I just put my notepad away, basically. Like, it was clear that where this was going. There's no need to overanalyze it. Respect to Spain. You, you basically say they were perfect. The counter press was perfect. Their positioning between the lines, their passing, their movement, everything. Like the way they read the high line. They were also going up against. I I think if if you if if you just like replace three Costa Rica players with me you me you and Sam like I don't know if anyone would notice no. a difference they were you look at the numbers at the end they should have put in a few of the fans in the stands I mean like let's just have a moment to like you know big up the Costa Rica fans that went all the way to Qatar to see that like they should have subbed a few of them on at least given them some sort of lifetime experience to to talk about because that was that was just embarrassing from from Costa Rica's point of view. Zero shots, zero key passes, were... zero anything. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. yeah. After Costa Rica, I think in qualifying, they had 15 games and conceded eight goals. So to now concede seven in one World Cup game is... Yeah. I mean... Kay- that jumping quality. For, for a Real Madrid link, before we finish this game off, I mean, Keylor Navas was um, not the Keylor Navas we remember from Real Madrid. This was, you know, older Keylor Navas wasn't very good. And what was interesting watching it here was Iker Casillas was on the, the Spanish commentary team um, on La Una. So he was <laughs> basically put on the spot to to comment on Keylor Navas, especially I think the second goal where he gets a hand to it and just I can't do anything. I think that was the Sensio's goal actually. Um, yep. And Iker Casillas just, you know, as he had to, was just, you know, yeah, Keylor Navas is 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 not doing very good here. So um, disappointing one for, for him and um, yeah, Costa Rica. Uh, let's see how they do against Germany and Japan because um, I think we learned more today about Costa Rica and Japan than we did about Spain and Germany. Well, it's funny because like in the Germany-Japan game, I'm not saying I knew that they would come back by any means, mm. um, but at least you could see something like, okay, you could exploit this with Germany if you can if you can maybe have a more aggressive line. With Costa Rica, there was like zero, it was like negative 0% chance that they had any hope in that game. Like it was... Yeah. It was an astronomical gap, which um, it, it makes this group super fascinating because let's just assume that everyone gets their three points versus Costa Rica. Uh, then it comes down to if Germany somehow, I'm going to have somehow, I mean, it's totally realistic. If Germany beats Spain, this group is insane. I mean, there's like this shock scenario where, you know, Spain has to go up against Japan who might hold, punish them on the high line a little bit more than uh, Costa Rica did. I don't know. I'm just like, there's just a lot of options on the table here, and I could see it either way. Um, it, it's just fascinating how this this one will unfold. Uh, I'll just and pose the question. To, yeah, I go ahead. Say a fair play to Spain as well. I mean, I thought, you know, many other teams this week we've seen them kind of dominate games and then they ease off and save their energy yep. a little bit. And Spain could definitely have done that with those two games coming up. But even after the seventh goal in injury time, they were still looking for for the next one. So, you know, fair play with that kind of attitude. So. Keep going. That and we also can't discount the the factor of the psychological boost, like Morata getting two goals in this game. That's massive. All their front three scored. So like even if this game like is not the real test, the psychological points they take from this are are, are massive, if you ask me. I do want to ask though, 
just knowing that Luis Enrique is has in, unpredictable. Let's just put it that way with his 11s. Is this his best 11 or like do we see Carvajal start in the next game? Do we see Asensio come off the bench and like do you guys want to take a crack at that? I don't think anyone can guess that Luis Enrique team can they? <laughs> yeah, I mean Carvajal's an interesting case because um I think that's maybe the most even competition in the whole squad is him and Aspilicueta and Aspilicueta was was really good in this game, one of the players that stayed on the whole game. Um, I think, well, it's hard to predict Luis Enrique. I think the only thing we can predict is the players he substituted off are definite starters for the next game because um, it was very very clearly taking them off to give them a rest. Um, some of the older players as well, you know, Busquets, Jordi Alba, the fact he was taking them off, I think, very clearly shows that they're starting the next one. As with Coeta, uh, he didn't uh, get taken off, so maybe you know, having played ninety minutes, maybe Carvajal has a chance. But it's going to be tough for Carvajal to get um, get many minutes this World Cup because Aspilicueta is, um, you know, one of the the strongest competitors he's had at right back for a long time. Because for whatever reason, previous Spain coaches have just never taken Aspilicueta for. I, I really don't understand why, but now finally there's a coach who who does like him. Yeah, I think it could depend on the opponents as well. I mean. I think Germany maybe will stick with Aspilicueta because he's that little bit more defensively solid that offers a little bit less in attack than Danny Carvajal. And maybe that's kind of where the balance will come in. But I mean, you say that, Ewan, but then Marco Asensio was one of the players who came off. So, I mean, does that mean that Marco Asensio is maybe going to get the nod? But I mean, that's got to be probably so. the toughest decision that, that Luis Enrique will face. I mean, with, with Morata getting that goal, I mean, it's not going to be a, an easy call, but I think... Yeah, Morato will have yeah. some other excuse. You, you, I don't know. He'll have stubbed his toe or something by by then. He'll, he'll have some other reason to miss out. Will be it will be interesting. And I mean, whoever he plays that wing back against Germany on Sunday night, which is the last game, it's going to be a beautiful Sunday night um, with beverages in hand all over the world watching that game. It's going to be already excited, looking forward to that Sunday night. But has huge implications against Germany. You know, you go all of a sudden from Costa Rica who can't cross their halfway line to Serge Gnabry and, um, and round round making overloads on that side. Plus you have Musiala cutting in from that side. I mean, so it's going to be just a completely different test. Um, all right. Working backwards. Speaking of Germany, Rudiger has, I mean, individually, I thought he was had a decent night, but collectively, Germany melted in the second half and had a horrible night. And Japan have a very well deserved, regardless of all the stats that you'll show us with XG and field tilt and shots on target. Japan in the second half were were awesome and completely flipped the script. Rudiger was unfortunately on the wrong end of that. Ewan, thoughts on this whole th- whatever happened today in that game, which was just crazy. I mean, the key is actually a, another Real Madrid link, which is Taki Kubo coming off at halftime, Japan changing up the system. Mm. And that kind of, I mean, I thought they were quite good in the first half too, you know, had an offside goal where, you know, striker goes too early, but could easily have been a goal. You know, they were good in the first half, but um, make that change taken off Kubo. And the second half, just really, really impressive. And um, just one or two little switches here and there. And, you know, words into the Spanish TV and, and basically explained that it was like, yeah, the key was I got taken off, we switched 
uh, system and you think maybe you're the guy that sort of comes off and your team starts playing better. But he was, you know, just like, ah, oh, Salido de puta madre, he says, you know, just like it bloody worked. And he was delighted, obviously. And it's like that's that Japan teams, you could see as well when they scored every goal, when full time whistle, that's a United team. And in fact, you've got Kubo who could quite rightly be a bit disappointed that the reason they got better was him coming off. No, not at all. He was um he was delighted for them. So um yeah, that Japan team was um is quite something too. But yeah, lots of nuances to this game, but I think the main one was the, the halftime changes they made. Yeah, and very methodical Japan team as well. I mean looking at the stats earlier and they had twelve shots, but all twelve of those shots were inside the box, which is something that you don't see all that often for a team to have all of their shots inside the box. And I think they were quite almost Arsenal of, of yesteryear walking the ball into the goal at times. I mean, you know, to have that cutting edge and I think it did definitely change the game at half time. They just looked that little bit more offensively strong and, and Take Kubo probably be delighted and a little bit frustrated at the same time. Just a note on Rudiger and also how different these two halves were. Um I thought on like because the way that first half unfolded was that Japan were extremely in their shell. I mean in they did not really muster any meaningful transition attacks. There was a couple. Actually, Rudiger was the one who came over. And I thought pretty much for 90% of this game, Rudiger was near foot perfect. Interventions were great. Uh, distribution was good. Some of that is down to the fact that Japan allowed that initial one or two passes out of the back. In the second half, obviously, he was tested more. I don't think he could have done anything on those two goals that were conceded. He did have a couple slips after Germany went down 2-1. Those didn't result in a goal, but the damage like was pretty much done at that point. And he did he did nearly also score off a corner kick in the first half where his header at the far post goes just wide. But I, I thought he was just stretched really thin in that second half. And that was, I think, it wasn't on him is basically what I'm saying. But I, individually, and it, that probably is not any consolation to him because I don't think he cares. But individually, I thought he was fine. Um, but as a whole, Germany just kind of melted there and they they did not have answers to Japan's press. The runs in behind, and that that has been a weak link for them leading up to this tournament. And again, they'll be facing a, a Spain team that is going to be able to exploit that. So we'll see where that goes. Um, last one, I'll I'll do this in about 10, 20 seconds. Uh, I, I martyred myself waking up at 5 a.m. to watch uh, one of the most boring games I've ever watched, uh, Morocco versus Croatia. Or maybe it just seemed boring because it was so early and I was oh, kind it of... Was. it was. Oh, it was? Okay. It wasn't oh, just yeah. me being grumpy. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Okay. Um, I will say about Modric, he has that role with Croatia where he kind of does a bit of everything. Um, he starts on the right center midfield, Brozovic at the base, Kovacic on the other side. Sometimes Modric is deep. Sometimes he's pressing high alongside Kramaric. And just had, I guess, just, a, I don't know, not a transcendent Modric game. He looked, uh, some of his passes could have been a little bit sharper. He was fine. Um, but that, that whole Croatia team, I think needs to improve because they just could not string together any meaningful attacks and their, their counterattacks were way too slow. They had a lot of the ball deep and they just could not get any meaningful possession. The final third that has to improve. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they look like a team who've only been training together for a week and, I mean, it's the case for all of these teams, but Croatia, one of those teams where you can really tell the difference. Yeah. Um, all right, we're going to wrap it here. Tomorrow we got Fede Valverde. We have 
um, Vinicius Jr., Rodrigo Boas, Edo Militao. And I think that's... I, I, the, is Luka Jovic start for Serbia these days? I don't think he does, right? Anyway, maybe if he comes off the bench, maybe we'll mention him, mention him in passing, kind of like we did with Kubo today. So keep it locked. Uh, we're also doing the mailbag uh, over on patreon.com slash Madrid in addition to covering those players tomorrow. So that podcast is over there. Thanks for listening, guys. Ewan, thank you. Sam, thank you. I appreciate you guys. And we'll talk soon. No